In this episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast, I'm joined by hip-hop creative and entrepreneur Dio Gibson. Dio and I start off the episode uh, talking about the power of collaboration in music and how collaboration can just elevate a song and take it to the next level. Uh, Dio shared that this marks his 20th year of him being professional in the music ecosystem. He started with his first release called Stay Driven, and now he's excited about his upcoming release entitled Still Driven. I share that most people think that music is something that someone does for fun, but the reality is that being a professional creative is a real career and should be treated as such. Dio shares that his longevity and career success has a lot to do with consistency. He shares that when he talks to kids, he tells them to get better each day by 1%. He says that if you apply this mindset, that means in 30 days you will have gotten better by 30%, in 100 days better by 100%, and in a year, 365%. Dio shares that it's okay to have a big goal, but then you need to break that down into achievable steps. He knew that he wanted to build his career and generate income that wasn't solely dependent on him having a hit song. He shares that so many creators view success in I share that so many creators view success in one prism and that if they aren't doing things at the highest level, they feel they haven't achieved success. I feel that that's the wrong title to have because only 1% of the professional creatives ever achieve the kind of success and notoriety consistently. Dio shares that creators like Bob Marley, Jimi Hendrix, and The Doors have never won a Grammy. He says that if you think your career is going to be defined by winning an award, then you simply have the wrong mentality. Dio and I talk about the impact Canadians have made in the episode of some of the top creators in the industry, such as Drake, The Weeknd, Shawn Mendes, Justin Bieber. Dio shares that he and Justin Bieber are both from Stratford, Ontario. Uh, I, say, I share how much of a talent Justin Bieber is and that he was worth over $150 million before the age of 21. Dio shares that he's the son of a preacher and that even though he's from a small town, that didn't mean everything was always good. He says that many people from there and the surrounding areas come from a broken family who've had struggles with addiction, drugs, etc. Justin Bieber himself comes from that type of environment as well as, according to, as, well as that according to Dio. When you come from that environment and then you come into the type of fame and money, you will oftentimes make your fair share of mistakes. And Justin, to his credit, has completely owned up to all of his mistakes. Dio talks about the fact that he's from a small town called Watcher, Saskatchewan. He shares that most people travel to Watchers because there's a pool and that pool has healing properties. Dio shares that Watchers represents hard work and blue-collar people for him. He often says that he's reminded never to forget where he's from. Dio and I talk about the earliest memories of him falling in love with music. He shares that it was the summer of 1994, and he shares that he bought a tape from the legendary Nas, and that on the way to see his grandparents in Nova Scotia, he shares that after a few days, there his cousin came to visit him, and they were walking, and he asked Dio if he had ever heard of the Wu-Tang Clan. He said after that, this triggered when he fell in love with hip-hop. He talks about reading a magazine called The Rap Pages, and that was the first time he saw a profile on the Notorious B.I.G. He bought the album Ready to Die and played it from beginning to end. It was just so powerful for him. Dio shares that he was raised on Detroit radio, WKLB. That's how you heard about that Notorious B.I.G. was gunned down. I talk about how there's similar similarities to the impact feeling of the way Nipsey Hussle passed and how it definitely hits different as an adult for me. I share with Dio that one of the things that I love about Canada is the way the government truly supports the arts and is willing to help new indie creators because the reality is that funding is needed to build a career correctly and professionally. Dio shares that he was awarded a $2,000 grant in 2002 to allow him to record his first demo and make CDs to get his career started. That type of grant was given to, the type of grant that was given to him was called the Arts Development Grant. 
This grant is given without any stipulations and, as, and that the indie creative can use it how they see fit. The ocean the, that the next grant he applied for was the album grant, which is about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. In order to apply and be eligible for this grant, the owner was required to submit a business plan. He said that on the creative side, the community ad adjudicated the grant gave him A's across the board, but on the business side, he was given F's. He was very upset about his failing score, and he wanted to know why he received the failing score. So he called up one of the women that was facilitating the grant, and she told Dio to submit the business plan again. He submitted the same exact plan, but he made an adjustment to the timeline by moving it up, moving it six months out. He was awarded the album grant in March 2006. Dio shared that once he was awarded the album grant, then he was was awarded a grant for marketing. The requirement for the marketing grant was that Dio had to sell 2,000 CDs. He went on tour and opened for creative, creative name classified and kept log sheets that showed that he was selling 30 to 40 CDs per show. He, he then was able to tap into funding for tour support and videos. He said the grant was awarded initially for fifteen twenty thousand, 20000 up to 120000 He says one of the most important things to know and consider when you are applying for grants is to know who you are writing the grant to get for to get funding. He shares that if you're writing to the fact, writing to Factory, which is the foundation to assist Canadian talent on records, they want to hear your music and they want you to have a solid business plan. Well, but the difference of when he's writing to the grant to King of the King of the Council, they don't care about the music, but they care about what the contribution to Canadian culture will be. He told them that he wants to talk about what it means to be a Black Canadian. 365, and they wanted to support that because it's good for the culture. The OCS at Canada works differently than the United States in terms of they would rather have 10 people make $100,000 per year than one person make a million dollars per year. He says that some people may call that socialism, but he calls it a great place to live. Although he would love to make multi-millions every year, he's thankful that he's been able to earn a six-figure living for the past 18 years and looks forward to continuing to do that for the next 30 to 40 years. I should have I share that I wish that American indie creators who are starting out in need of funding and have the ability to apply for government grants that cater to arts and culture. Dio shares that he was asked to mentor a young Drake and that he would come to the studio and have several different photos on his hard drive. One of the photos was labeled Chris Brown and he would have songs on that he wanted to get to Chris Brown. He witnessed Drake's rise happen very fast because at one point they were all on the same level and then he was out of there ascending to a major level. Dio talks about racism and that exists in Canada in terms of black music and creative and for the creatives. For many years, Canada has been about beer, hockey, and rock and roll. He shares that for years he was always the darkest person in the room at many events, and that's saying something because he's a light-skinned black brother. He's thankful now to have the opportunity to be in meetings that hopefully will affect legislation that changes the narrative of color in the arts of Canada. Dio and I end the episode talking about how he's been able to facilitate so many tours for himself in Asia, Europe, the U.S., and Canada, and some of the do's and don'ts of how to work and coordinate independently. He shares that it really starts with relationships. He was able to go to Japan in 2008 because he had a few friends that could help him get a few anchor shows locked in because he was able to sell 2,000 CDs the summer before the Asia tour. He was able to apply for a $15,000 tour grant and was awarded the money. He shares that when you go to a new country, setting up the anchor show is the first key. Then you build shows and press around those around that. And that's where things take off. He shares that when he first started, his dream was to be a rapper, but now his dream is to help other creators achieve their dreams. 
He also shares that creators must remember why they do music and the fact that you first realize you have a talent to make music, but you never truly actually can make a living. Uh, you, you never truly, when you start out, think you can make a living. So you should count everything you achieve as a blessing and that you are doing something you love. Dio does his walk-off shop freestyle about some topics that I gave him without what a great way to leave the listeners wanting more. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Encourage and Inspire podcast. This is episode number 18. And I got my guy, D.O. in the building. D.O. Gibson in the building from Canada, from, from We the North over there. My, my guy. <laughs> Representing my colors. You know yes, what I mean? sir. One, I, we, I, res- I respect this brother so much. Uh, what he's what he's doing. Uh uh, his career, he's been able to uh, make full-time income for a long time from, you know, being a creative. And uh, I'm excited to get into his story and what he's doing to impact young people, as well as just his country of Canada and 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 and, and all that jazz. So we're going to have a good time, man. Dio, what's up, man? Ah, well, you, you caught me at a good time. And um, thank you for that. <laughs> that introduction i'm humbled by it but um hey i gotta say the same thing about you man uh, you're one of my you know it's 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 a cool thing to be able to call you a friend you know right. it's, you know we have a good professional relationship but um you know it's, it's good to be able to call you a friend um one of the people that inspires me that you know your work ethic and everything that you represent your sense of values your sense of community your sense of family um, aside from just your business side, um, right. inspires me. So thank you for having me today. Oh man, it, it, I, I I had to get you on this podcast. You know, um, so I covered three topics, three different silos on this on this podcast, right? So I usually talk about disability awareness. Guys could have a disability. Uh, music business topics to help creatives, and the third thing is. It's people's stories that encourage and inspire me. So, really, you cut, you check two out of three boxes. <laughs> so, so um, it's just right that I had you on on my podcast because, you know, I want people to 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 to, to understand that it's possible to make a living doing this. It's possible to do what you love to do, and do it your way. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, so, I, I think so, and and. You know, just to uh, just to say what's going on, man. Um, this morning, I, I had uh, I had a message in my inbox, and okay. I said, "Okay, okay," and uh, I said, "I got to get in the car for this one." And I drove um, to uh, just a nature area, and I hit play because it was an attachment, um, and I hit play, and I heard my friend singing on my new song and it was just so incredible. And I just played it before I came on with you. And I think that's the power of music and the power of collaboration is, you know, you, you travel, you meet people 
but you know, you, you meet some great musicians and the musician I'm speaking about it, his name is Jordan, J-R-D-N. I don't know if you're familiar with him. No, I haven't heard of him. He's from Nova Scotia. He okay. sings from the soul. And um, I got him to, to sing on my new upcoming single. And I can't wait for you. To, I'll, I'll just give you a sneak peek of it too. Okay. But, but it, it's just like, when you have an idea in your mind, Darrell, about music. Right. And you try to communicate it with somebody. I remember Dr. Dre said that. Dr. Dre said the difference between me and everybody else is I hear something and I can create it. Right. A lot of people hear something in their head and they cannot create it. Right. Musically. So when I write a song and I give it to an artist to sing and when they can elevate it, like not just do it good, but like elevate it, it just warms your heart because we're all in it for music. And when you put your ego aside and just sing from the heart. Um, and that's what Jordan did on this song. And I'm just incredibly excited because this is my 20th year anniversary of doing music professionally. I started with Stay Driven, as you can see in the background. Really? This new song is called Still Driven. Because after 20 years, after 18 years of making it my full-time job, I'm still driven. I'm still excited. I feel blessed to be in this creative space of music, working with people all around the globe on this dream that I had when I was five years old. And Powerful. Isn't it great to be living our dreams, brother? Absolutely, man. That's Let me tell you that's something. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, that's super dope because, you know, most people think, deal. you know this, man, most people think that being a creative is something you do on the side. You know, you go work your nine to five job. And if you want to just go and make music, you do that. You do that on the weekend. So you, have, you do that whenever. No, this is a, I tell this people all the time. This is a real career. This is a real career. This is the real job. And and the fact that you've been able to, you know, take care of your family and, and your loved ones doing this. It's a testament to the hard work that you put in and the lane that you've been able to find to bring in consistent income. Cause we know it's, it's difficult, you know, it's not easy to do, you but, know, every, you know, yeah. but it's, it's, it's not easy, but I think consistency was the biggest thing for me. Yeah. Is I was listening to uh, one of my favorite football players the other day on a podcast, Drew Brees. Okay. And Drew Brees, they asked him like, what record are you really, you know, appreciative of like you've done a lot in your career. And he said, no, the thing I'm proud about is my consistency is getting up each day and working at it and doing a little bit each day to get better each day. Now, what I talk about when I talk to kids is I tell kids to get better by 1% every day. Now, 1% does not seem like a lot, but if you get better by 1% every day, over 30 days, you'd be better by 30%. Right. Over 100 days, you'd be 100%. And over one year, you'd be better by 365%, which is more than three times better than you were when you started. Right. right? right. So it is about the daily movements to improve yourself. And um, I think when you, it's great to have a big goal, but you have to break it down into 
achievable steps. And so when I say I've done this for 18 years, I mean, it was 12 years ago that I bought my first house. You know, then I had two kids and I put them in daycare and I had to make my living consistently. I did not bet on having a big um, song to make my career. I did not want to be a one hit wonder. Mm -hmm. uh, I just wanted to make it consistent. Right. Right. And, and that's, that's so powerful because I think there's so many creatives out here that only see success in one prism, right? So for people that only see success is if it's if I'm not doing if I'm not on the world tours and winning Grammys, then it's, yeah. I, I, I'm not successful. And I just I, I shake my head at that because I'm like, what you're asking to do is really only the one percent. There's only one percent of the ecosystem in the marketplace that's achieving that consistently. So everybody else is most likely is never going to achieve what is it. I'm not again, not saying that winning a Grammy isn't cool, but also too, there's a lot of industry politics and we don't, we're not going to get into, into that because <laughs> that could take us out a whole nother rabbit hole. But, Wait, but can I ask you a question. Yeah. Who's your favorite artist of all time? Oh, oh, Biggie, B-I-G. Of course, B-I-G, that's easy. P-O-P-P-A? No yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm blessed to uh, work with um, a team. And um, the woman that I work with, her name is Kathy Hahn. You okay. probably, have you ever met Kathy Hahn? I'm not sure if I have. She's out at Medem. Okay. So, um, so what Kathy did is she told me about who she worked with. And this artist has never won a Grammy. But you could go anywhere in the world and play this person's music. You could be five years old. You could be 95. You could be in Singapore or London, England or Birmingham, Alabama. Wherever. <laughs> you right. could be Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> right. Or you could be in the Caribbean and you could play Bob Marley's music. Right. Bob Marley never won a Grammy. Right. Jimi Hendrix right. never won a Grammy. Right. The Doors never won a Grammy. I mean, so if you think your career is going to be defined by winning an award, I'm sorry, man. You know, uh, the rap category is this, and you know, I'm sorry. That is, that is not the reason. Now, the reason why to be associated with the Grammys is because it's a great community of music people. Yeah. And last time I was at the Grammys, last year, not this year, no Grammys this year in person. Um, yeah. You go to the after party, and this is before COVID really. Right. Started, right. But um, it was the day that Kobe Bryant died. Yeah. And rest in peace, Kobe. Rest in peace, Kobe. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm wearing socks right now. I'm, I'm wearing <laughs> socks, greatest of all time, the goat socks. I got them on my feet right now. <laughs> nice. Uh, but, um, Gloria Gaynor was singing that night mm -hmm. at the after party. And um, she was singing a song called I Will Survive. Right. And that just, you know, just hit my heart because I will survive. And she finished singing that. that and I, I looked up and I turned my back and I said, hey, brother, how you doing? 
and he he was standing there like this, he, you know, he was standing there like this, and and he said, "I'm doing good, man. How are you?" I said, "Man, I gotta say, man, you look like my cousin." <laughs> and he said, "Well, your cousin must be a cool guy," and I, I said, "But you're him, aren't you?" And he said, "Yep, I am." And the guy I was standing with with was a guy by the name of Melly Mel. Wow. And, um, and, and let's educate the people on for those for, for those who don't know who 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 is Melly Mel is and his significance to hip hop. So Melly Mel is one of the first original MCs right. of the game. And when I say MC, you know, uh, I'm not just talking about a rapper. And when he came up and he released this record called The Message. Right. Changed hip hop. Right. It's like jungle sometimes and makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Right. <laughs> um, right. When he was doing that, um, it all of a sudden brought social consciousness to hip hop that wasn't there before. Right. Because he was witnessing people in the streets um, being addicted to crack cocaine. Right. And so he wanted to have a message in the music. And Melly Mel, as I always just do it like that, like Melly Mel is, is very swole. He yeah. always worked out. He's a big guy. And um, but he was always just about making positive change. And so he set up consciousness in rap, and right. which led into KRS-One and then, you know, led into Nas, you know, because Nas would always talk about Melly Mel and the message. And then, um, I mean, Puff Daddy remixed the song with Mace. Yeah, and you want to can't nobody hold me down to it, and um, I mean it's classic, and um, right. but I the thing I like about Melly Mel is how humble he is. And right, that was that was the second time I met him. The first time I met him, Darrell, was in New York in two thousand three in October at the Zulu Nation anniversary party. Um, Africa Bambada was there. Nice. Chris was there, you know, KRS-One. Yes, sir. I just, I just geeked out because I'm just a fan of hip-hop culture, and I'm just right. like, we're in the Bronx, right? Zulu Nation, and um, <laughs> these are the pioneers of hip-hop. Right. And I just feel fortunate to meet them because right. hip-hop is still a young genre. Yes, by the, by the great scheme of things, right, for 47 years, 48 years, and we're st- it's still young. If you, th- if, you th- if you equate it to all the other main genres we know, it's definitely still a young genre. But the uh, most popular right now in the world. Well, it's always going to be the most popular. And then the, what I love about it now is how the world has worked to being, you know, we the North and for Toronto to be in Ontario and Canada to be the epicenter of the best artists in the world. Right. You say Drake. The weekend. If you want to say The Weeknd. Right. Or if you want to talk about pop music, you could talk about Sean Mendez. Yeah. Or yeah. You could talk about the young king, Justin Bieber. Yep. I don't know I if love- you knew this, man. I, I don't know if you've done your research. <laughs> I grew up in Justin Bieber. Like, well, it was my town first. Now he's <laughs> star. But uh, yeah, we come from the same town. That's awesome. You know, yeah, I was going to ask about that, you know about where you know where you were born yeah i know you didn't grow up in toronto but man speaking on justin Bieber for a second this brother is really talented 
everybody he caught so much hate. Oh, this kid is well, no, this kid plays the drums, this kid plays guitar, he's a dancer, like he's gifted, he's a gifted talent. And you got to think about it from this perspective. The kid was worth $150 million before the age of 21 years old. Who do you know that that's not gonna have that's not gonna wild out a little bit when you're worth that much money? Okay. And when you're from where we're from. Right. So speak on that. Speak on that. The population of Stratford, Ontario is 27,000 people. Right. 27,000. So it's a small town. Um, My parents took me to Stratford when I was four years old. My dad's a preacher. Okay. You're a preacher's kid. Okay. When I got to the church that first day, I had all these people coming up saying, hi, Dwayne, Dwayne, Dwayne. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. I'm four years old, <laughs> but I learned how to be a preacher's kid. And my parents said, you're in a safe community. If you get stopped by the police, they won't look at you like you're black. They will look at you as you're the preacher's kid. Right. So what I learned was just because we're in a small town does not mean everything's going to be safe and everything's going to be okay. Right. And um, in that small town, there's a lot of drugs. Okay. Um, there's a lot of addiction, and it's generational. So right. Justin Bieber comes from a family that's a broken family, as many kids do. And, um, you know, he comes from, like, I mean, his mom had him when she was young. Right. She was a teenager. Right. And his dad wasn't ready to have a kid, and he comes from a generation like a family of downtrodden people right? from the other side of town. Right. And so, and that's all of his friends. And so when he had a little bit of fame, it was absolutely overwhelming. I bet. So he made his mistakes. Right. But you know what? He said, I own my mistakes. Right. And when he started owning his mistakes and saying, I'm going to do better, give the kid a break. Oh yeah. Now look at how he's blossomed. Oh yeah, you know, like, like that new album that he dropped. That Fire! It's Fire! Like it's, it's one the last. His last two have been great. The last two he's dropped. Well, I didn't like Yummy though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, you know what it is? I think a lot of that too. Some of that too is just the the commercial side of it, the label side. We got the you know, but you could tell Justin is still very a very spiritual guy. Yeah, well, it's, he's a very spiritual guy, and um, but my one of my favorite records off that album, the new album, is Peaches. Yeah, and one of the reasons why I like Peaches is because it also features another artist from Toronto named Daniel Caesar. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Daniel Caesar, oh my god, like, yeah. like it, it's just it's a pop song. But he's just like, I'm going to be calm and I'm just going to be Daniel Caesar on the record. Right. Who does LeBron call when he wants to do a private concert for him and his wife? He Daniel, calls Daniel, Daniel Caesar. Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's incredible. So it's like, um, so Justin, um, you know, he's come a long way and um, I'm just so proud of him. Um, and I'm just such a huge fan of his. And those are the artists that we come out with in Canada. I'll throw yeah. you another one, man. An artist by the name of Jesse Reyes. You yeah, know her? Uh, familiar. Yep, familiar. Definitely. I mean, 
you know, I'll tell you about Jesse Reyes. Um, we were down in Atlanta, A3C. Okay. And, um, you know, when you go to A3C, you know, it's people are telling you to go over here, go over there, go over here, go over there. I just say, let me go to this Toronto event. Right. Okay. <laughs> and because um, I, I didn't know Jesse. I didn't right. know her. Right. And um, she was performing and it was small. There's nobody in the building. Yeah. And, um, you know, I met her and her manager, Maurizio. And um, we just started hanging out that night. And uh, they both ended up coming back to one of my hotel parties. I, I might know a thing or two about my hotel party. Oh, let me tell you something, Dio. Side note, you, you do know how to have a good time. I, I I have personally witnessed that. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit later. You so know how, you know how disappointed I was, Darrell, because my room was supposed to have a private pool in the hotel. I was supposed to have the pool, but it just closed the week before. Oh so man! It was like I booked the room, <laughs> pool. I was supposed to have that room, right, like, Mr. Gibson? I'm sorry, but we will comp you up to an amazing room. I said, this is good. Still don't have my pool, though. Um, <laughs> okay. But like, yeah. And so, I, you know, Jesse was was hanging out. And, and um, now look at her. Like when I watched the BET Awards a couple years ago, and um, they're like, this this woman that we're about to bring on stage is about to become one of the big names in music. And she's created an online following. And I'm like, who, who are they bringing out? And they said, and her name is jesse reyes and i said oh my god <laughs> I, I was just but i was like it's so nice when you you have a chance to meet your friends and you see them ascend right you, know, you see them have these big opportunities right that shows you and the listeners of this podcast is that anything is possible absolutely absolutely I mean, and and you've proven that you've shown that, man. So you know, we talked a little bit about. Um, so you were born in, is it Watros, Saskatchewan? Am I saying that right? Watros. Watros. Okay. Now, do you know what Watros is? No. You know what is that? Canada Tell me. I have. I don't know too much about Canada. Okay. <laughs> well, Watros it be um, north of uh, North Dakota. Okay. So we call it the prairies. So. Um, you know, on my, I have two, well, I have two sides of me. So on my dad's side, mm-hmm. on my black side, I'm from Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. Okay. The coast of Canada. Okay. On my mother's side, my white side, yeah. I am from Saskatchewan. Okay. Which is a farming community. So um, my grandfather, um, uh, I even have a picture right here. <laughs> Ain't that funny? So this is my grandfather. Okay. You can see him playing the, the guitar right there. Yeah. Um, he's from Star City. <laughs> like, how, how gangster. Yeah, Star City. Star City. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, he's a farmer. And okay. And my mother moved down to Watrous. And my dad, as a preacher, when he graduated from university, he got stationed out there. And uh, he met my mother. And um, so when you go to Watrous, there's only one reason why people go to Watchers. It's an okay. international famous place for this one reason. There's only two places like it in the world. Watchers and the Dead Sea. Okay. 
So people go there to go to the water. So there's a pool there. And when you go to the pool, um, you don't swim in the pool. You just hang out in the pool. Okay. The pool, it looks, if you didn't know better, you'd be like, this is dirty water. The water is brown. Right. You float in the water. It has salt and healing properties. So people from all over North America travel there. Okay. If you have arthritis or if you have a disability, yeah. you go in the water and it heals you. Okay. And that's where I'm from. A small town. And so one time we were on tour and we had to go from Saskatoon down to Regina and we stopped in Watrous. And just for fun, uh, Slacker wanted to get his hair cut. It's like his brother. Yeah. And so we went into a hair spot and, uh, you know, they were able to do it. But um, I just mentioned uh, how I was born here. And, <laughs> and the man who runs the barbershop, he stopped and he just, he looked at me and he said, oh my God, hold up one second. And he went in the back and then he went upstairs and grabbed his wife and brought her down. And he said, do you know who this man is? And she was like, no, I don't know who this. And she said, this is Reverend Robert Gibson's son. And she said, oh, my God, you came back to town. <laughs> like, because, you know, like, you know, it's, it's so far out of anything that you would do, but it just right. happened. But you were in there. Canada, yeah. the Junos are not like the Grammys in the respect that the Judos um, move. So okay. whenever the Junos are in Saskatchewan, I go up and I go back to my old hometown. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and people know my mom and dad, and, you know, they, they, oh, we remember you when you were down here. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. So that's what Watcher Saskatchewan represents to me. And it, But what it really represents to me is hard work um blue collar um working on your land being a farmer and um never forget like see in canada we don't have la and new york and chicago we have toronto yeah that's we the main toronto. yeah and so in canada across the country not everybody likes toronto because they think if you're from toronto you got your nose up in the air Right. So they always, as a kid, when I traveled to Nova Scotia and when I traveled to Saskatchewan, they'd always tell me, don't forget where you're from. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Now, so, by, by the time this, this is over, I, I still got a question for you. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so tell me about your earliest memories of music. How, when, did you, when did you fall in love with music, man? Um, summer of 1994. Summer of okay. 1994. Uh, it was June, and okay. uh, my dad took me down downtown, and I was living in Sault Ste. Marie, right there, right on the border to Michigan. So there's Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan as well. Oh, and, yeah. Um, you know, you know, Dio, now you speak of that, like, that's interesting how you can get to Canada from Michigan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, my, my, one of my good friends just moved there recently. They moved to Detroit. He's yeah. like, yeah, we just, and it's, you can get to, you can get to Michigan, you can get to Canada, like, Right close from Michigan, I'm like that was interesting. I never knew that. I'm thinking Canada's way up north. How does Michigan play a role in that? <laughs> oh, yeah. hop, skip, it, and jump. Yeah, hop, skip, like literally, like right across the street. You know, like uh, Let, yeah, that's what he said. 
<laughs> yeah, like it's like when you go to Amsterdam, for instance, and yeah. you're at the train station. I've never gone across to the other side in Amsterdam, but you know how you can go across. Yeah, yeah. it's that close. It's Interesting. Like, even where I'm at right now, I'm I'm that close to Michigan. So I've always been close to Michigan. Um, Interesting. Well, that's where I get my soul from. Um, gotcha. I mean, when when my dad said to me, "Son, let's go for a trip today," and um, he would, you know, because to get to downtown Detroit when I was a teenager in Sarnia was forty five minutes away. To get to downtown Detroit was forty five minutes away. Where I live in Toronto, to get downtown Toronto is forty five minutes. Right. So it's the same thing, but like. You know, when we went to the Motown Museum, or right. the African American, you know, museum, or and you learn about the history of Detroit, right? But um, so I was in Sault Ste. Marie in 1994. Okay. I was 15 years old, and um, my dad said you can buy. Well, I had money, but like he said, buy buy something that you want to take out when you go on the trip. So I bought this this tape by an artist named Nas. Oh, okay. And so I bought the tape and I listened to it on the way over to Nova Scotia because I was going to see my grandparents. And um, I was like, this is pretty good. <laughs> this is pretty good. Right. And then I land in Nova Scotia and um, I spent a few days just chilling out. And then one of my cousins calls me and uh, he says, well, I'm going to come pick you up, Dwayne. I'm going to teach you how to work out. <laughs> so uh, we went down over to the Y, <laughs> the YMCA, and he puts on two plates on each side, like 320 pounds, <laughs> 320. And he's just like giving it. I'm like, wow. Whereas I would just do the bar, <laughs> maybe five, 10 pounds on each side. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. But he's like, um, Dwayne, it's, I think it's time for you to, uh, start meeting your family. And I was wearing a Snoop Dogg t-shirt. And he's like, you got to meet your cousins. So uh, I said, okay. So I came back to my house. And a couple hours later, somebody knocks on the door and it's my cousin, Nikki. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Dwayne, you want to go walk down the streets? I said, okay. And Nikki says to me, um, what you know about the Wu-Tang Clan? I said, I <laughs> love the Wu. And that's where I fell in love with hip hop because it was Nas, it was Snoop Dogg, and it was Wu. Yeah. And what I said to him, you're gonna like this one. I said, have you ever heard about this new rapper? There's a new rapper coming out. And they said, who's this new rapper? And I said, his name is Notorious, B-I-G. <laughs> and they said, no, we haven't heard about him. And I said, let's go to the Mayflower Mall tomorrow. Let's see if this album's out there. Because I read a magazine called Rap Pages. Okay. And Biggie was on the cover. Now, Biggie did not have a song out, did not have anything. But in the letters to the editor, people were writing about how Biggie's music is changing their lives. Wow. And this is like, this is the summer. That record didn't drop till September. Right. The buildup to Biggie was i've never seen it ever before right. so to fast forward and the last thing i'll say is when september came 
I was living in Sarnia right now and we were living right on the border and my dad took me across the border and I went and I bought the CD ready to die and I came back and I played it from beginning to end and well my favorite song at first was the what because I was a huge Method Man fan but I just said this is absolutely incredible and that's when Biggie became my favorite Wow. And I, you know, I, I think about that. Just think, man, Big became a legend of two albums. Impacted yeah. culture. Really, one, he, one he's a, two out of one. He's only alive for one. So, I yeah. mean, you know, so if you think about it, yeah, you know, he impacted culture in person of one album. And it's still considered a legend in this business, in this game. Well, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I don't, I'll tell you this, man, because I was raised on Detroit radio. Okay. 90.9, JLB, 98. If you ever hear Marshall, he'll tell you. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? He'll tell you. But like, I mean, how instrumental Detroit is in music. But yep. We were in the United States that day. We, we just went across the border and um, we were driving back. And there was a lineup to get back into to Canada on the bridge. And the the host on, on JLB started crying. And um, mm. he said, Biggie was gunned down. And we didn't have phones. We do now. There, right. <laughs> you know. so, but we, like, we were like, okay, he's gunned down. Is he alive? Right. Like, like it didn't make, like, is he alive? Right. You know. And when they said, no, um, Biggie's not going to make it. And I was with all my friends. And I mean, there wasn't a dry eye, you know, like, right. you know, so, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was, I was, like, yeah, you know, I was 11 years old. And I remember when I heard about that, you know, yeah. you know, I was 11 when that happened, you know, and I remember just like, man, you got to be, you got to be, you got to be kidding me. It's kind of, you know, because I was such a, so I was so young to obviously with Pac and Pac and Big, but like I felt that way obviously when Nipsey passed, right? Yeah, kind of a, a similar feeling to because yeah. now you're I'm an adult and it, it just the impact is bigger, and so yeah, yeah I, I feel you. Yeah, it was just it definitely because when, when when we found out Nipsey passed away, I and they said it was three people. I said okay, well maybe Nipsey made it. Like okay, maybe you know we didn't you know right. we, we're thinking exactly. we're thinking. It's just okay. It's just maybe he's not hurt. Maybe he's okay. Maybe he's you know when we when we found out that it, that it was him, man, it was just it was devastating. Absolutely. Yeah, well, and, and that's similar with Pac. Like, yeah. You know, oh, he, he just shot again. Oh. Yeah. yeah you make it another, right. You know, yeah. Like, yeah, Pac, Pac takes the bullets. You know, like, right. he, like he, oh, it's just a regular day. Tupac getting shot again. Like you know, like it, it, we didn't. You know, nobody thought. Nobody thought Pac was gonna die. No, like just and nobody thought Easy E was gonna die. Right. Like I remember when Easy E died. Like I, yeah. you know, nobody thought Easy E was gonna die. Right. Um, right. And, and nobody thought Nips or yeah. For these young kids now, it's Juice World and right. X. Yeah. on. Right. You know, like, um, and that sucks because like their music. I mean, they're this generation's Biggie and Tupac, right? Right, definitely, if for sure. Juice World, like, 
and I, I you know, I, I mess with Juice World and I mess with X as well. Like yeah. those guys are really smart and ahead of their time people. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, they were great kids, but like it just sucks that they it's, get Yeah, wrong. it's just generation, man. It's just, it's just you know, it's, again, <laughs> we can get into that conversation. I think it's a whole down a whole nother, a whole nother space. But, um, you know, one thing I respect about Canada is the fact that they respect the arts, right? They respect that they allow for funding for the arts, you know, because that's something that is not done over here, like, like in the States. Like, you got to figure it out. You know, yeah. you got to, because, you know, it requires some funding to do this, you know? Yeah. So, so talk to me about how that impacts and how that's had an impact maybe on the influx of Canadian artists coming to the forefront now. The fact that there's funding early on in their careers. How does that process work? You know, and you don't have to get too far deep into it, but kind of just touch, like, how does the funding play a role? How did funding play a role for you, if, if anything, early on? Well, uh, I mean, just I'm not going to be able to move and show it to you. But, yeah, it's fine. But, you know, right where I'm at right now, I'm in the basement. And yeah. when you walk down the stairs, when you come by my house one day, yeah. um, you'll It'll see- have to be in the summertime. It'll have to yeah, be in the oh, summertime. Yeah, 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 I don't yeah, do the yeah. snow. <laughs> when you come down the stairs you'll see that there's a dent in my ceiling okay. um, and we could have fixed it but we we didn't fix it because um i was awarded a two thousand dollar grant um 19 years ago and two thousand dollars to me felt like two million dollars right because two thousand dollars in 2002 meant I could go record my demo. I could go to phase one studio and I could pay a studio and I could make my CDs. And that's when I got started. So $2,000, and that's what artists can get now with a grant called the Artist Development Grant. Nowadays, you don't necessarily need to go to a studio, but they say, here's $2,000 Use it however you see fit. Maybe you want to spend that money on a music video. Maybe you want to spend that money on a post. Maybe, you know, or a lyric video, whatever. But here's $2,000. So that's what got me started. Then I applied for an album grant. Now, an album grant meant $15,000 to $20,000. Wow. And I wrote a big, long business plan. And they gave me my score back and they gave me on creative on the music side, a pluses across the board okay. music, production lyrics. And on my business side, they gave me F's. Wow. The board F's. So I got mad and I called them and I realized God bless her heart. When I called the grant organization, she wasn't the person adjudicating it the grant gets scored by people from around the country. Now, even to this day, I believe that they misplaced my business plan because, I mean, when they said my professional photo is an F, that is the same photo that was used for me in the magazine XXL. So wow. I was one of the first Canadians to be in XXL. And if my photo... Wow, was- really? That's dope, man. <laughs> yeah. I said, so I said, hey, you know, like if my photo is good enough for double XL, it should be good. It should be good enough for y'all. Right. 
So what this woman said to me, Darrell, is she said, I get that you're frustrated, but submit it again. Okay. So the only thing I changed was the timeline. And I just moved my timeline by six months um, in Excel, in a spreadsheet. I just put, you know, if I was going to do this in October, then I'm going to do it in April, right? Right. And I submitted it. And um, the day that my niece was born, on March 2nd, 2006, I got the grant. So when you get your first grant, what that means for your album, then you can apply for the marketing. If you got the album grant, you're going to get the marketing. And then they say, if you do that, you had to sell 2,000 copies of your CD. So I opened up for Classified across the country. I worked with Nielsen SoundScan. I got my venue settlement sheets so that every night I was selling 30 to 40 CDs, opening for a bigger artist than me. When I tapped into that, then I was able to tap into tour support. I was able Mm. to tap into video grants. And so all of a sudden, that one $16,000 grant became $120,000 for that project. And that's what got me going. Mm. Now I tap into various levels of the government funding. And one thing that is important to know when you are writing a grant is who are you writing the grant for? Mm -hmm. When you write a grant to Factor, the foundation to assist Canadian talent on records, they want to hear your music and they want to hear your business plan. Mm -hmm. They want to hear your music and they want to hear your business plan. Mm -hmm. When I apply to Canada Council, they don't care about the business. They care about what your contribution to Canadian culture is. So instead of saying, I want to make an album, I said, I want to talk about Black Canadian culture. 365 so right. they my black canadian 365 project which includes music which includes freestyles on instagram and they just wanted to support that because they know it's good for the culture of canada and that's why i love being canadian because we do not exist on the same level as united states where it's winner takes all you know cutthroat right in more of a society where it's like, do we want one person to have a million dollars or do we want 10 people to make a hundred thousand dollars a year? Right. We prefer to have 10 people make a hundred thousand dollars a year as opposed to one millionaire. That's, you know, you could call it socialism, but I call it a great place to live. Yeah. You know, I'd love to make multi-million dollars, but at the same time, I'm glad to, to be consistently able to generate six figures for 18 years and to keep on doing this for the next 30, 40 years as well. You know, that that's powerful, man, because you make a six figure income mm-hmm. doing music, right? So here's the difference. So here in America, here, most independent artists in America, or not Canadian people, right? Because that's just the right? So because here's what we always have to preach. Get to your thousand super fans to spend a hundred bucks a year. Yeah, right? Kevin Kelly. Yeah, right? So, you know, and, and you have to build community and there's so many different things that have to play into that, but so many of these creatives could use that seed money to set themselves up properly like a business, right? Perfect example. The recent example, I just picked up a client 
right, that I work with. So I do a lot of artist development, brand development, coaching, that type of deal with creatives. So he comes to me. He hears me speak on Clubhouse, likes what I'm talking about, reaches out and says, hey, man, I want to hire you to help me quarterback my situation. So I tell him what my retainer. So my retainer deal is my hourly rate is one fifty an hour. Okay. You just want to book me four hours, one fifty an hour. If you Got want it. me on retainer, mm-hmm. it's four hundred bucks a month mm-hmm. for the four month minimum. So essentially, it's sixteen hundred dollars to Got book it. me, right? Yep. Which is still, which is fair, and I probably could be charging more than that. that, that that's very fair. That's yeah. that's mid level. Yeah, but you're giving. Opportunity and access to people exactly, that and that includes access to people like yourself. Yes, you know, I include because we have a relationship, and I know if I get Dio on the phone, the Dio trusts me enough where he's gonna go into his network, and if he can help, you know what I mean. And so people understand you're not just paying for my time, but you're paying for access to my network, right? So this guy pays. So he says, oh, no, oh, 1600 bucks. Oh, no problem. He pays the money. Now, that usually never happens because I'm helping creatives who are broke. Mm-hmm. They have no money. They have nothing. 400 bucks a month. It seems like crazy. They can't even afford that. It seems they, like 4000 Right. And they don't see that they would rather go into, the, into their journey bumping their head along the way because right. they don't really have direction. So they are... Or they think they need a manager off rip. And that usually is never really the answer. So this guy pays my retainer, but he comes with a team, bro, Mm. with people already in place. What that tells me is that he's looking at this like a business, Mm. you know, versus a lot of people coming to this game, looking at it like this is all I got to do is put out content, run ads, and it's just going to happen for me. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think like that. And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. Like you need a foundation. And what I love about like, I'm saying all that to say, those that grant money helps a lot of Canadians to set up their foundation to where they can make consistent money and six figures a year. Like you have take care of your family, live comfortably and not have to be caught up in the industry bullshit. You know what I mean? <laughs> because they're trying to quote unquote make it right. So that's why I think it's just so cool that 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 they Canadians believe in the arts like that. I, I love that. I love that, man. Well, well, because well, I'll say two things. I'll say one thing is when I started running my conference, Northern Power Summit, yeah. um, I just like putting money in people's pockets. Yeah, because that's what creates the ecosystem. Exactly. When I have to fill out my paperwork, they ask me, how many jobs did I create? How many jobs have I funded Um, on a full-time level of like a a full 40 hours a week? You know, how many jobs am I creating for just Ontario? Okay. Ontario, our state, our province, because by me being able to give the money to the right people, that's what creates things. Now, I might only give you $150 or $250, but you know what? We're in a pandemic. And if I paid for your groceries for a week or two weeks, just by you coming and doing a talk for 10, 15 minutes on a panel, that's great. Yeah. Um, 
because money makes things work. Right. <laughs> I pay a publicist, <laughs> whatnot. But the way the government looks at it is we in Canada have an incredible music industry and we were letting our biggest artists go to the United States and we do not earn revenue from them. So we do not earn money from Drake or The Weeknd or Justin Bieber. Right. So that's when the government said, hmm, we need to start creating the next superstars and we need to fund them from Canada and make sure the jobs are in Canada. Because, gotcha. I mean, I was the guy who they said, hey, D, I want you to mentor this kid. And I said, okay, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy from Degrassi, I, I, I remember seeing you know, <laughs> Aubrey at the mall. He, he'd go to Yorkdale and, ah, uh, you know. Like, so you, you saw, know, you saw him as just, oh, that's Aubrey. You, you just saw yeah, him as like, just like, oh, yeah, he's a good kid. You know, like, he's a good kid. Oh, and he, oh, he, oh, he wants to rap now. Okay. Yeah. It's cute. You know, it's, it's nice. No, <laughs> not D man. He, he's going to be really good. I want you to mentor him. And so he would come by and, um, come by with his Lassie hard drive. I don't know if you know a Lassie hard drive. Oh, yeah, bro. And he, he, bro. you see? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold hey, on. You got hold one? You got on. one? <laughs> bro. Let's see if it's... <laughs> yeah, see, same one. And he would write in a marker D-R-A-K-E on the, in the middle part. He would write D-R-A-K-E. And I, I would say, uh, I'd say, what's the kid up to now, eh? And I would open up the folders and um, he'd have one folder called Chris Brown. Okay. And I played the song and it was just, he was ghostwriting for Chris Brown before he met Chris Brown. Um, and, you know, uh, I sometimes have my studio time, you know, our studio, but um, I said, Drake's here. You know what? I'll just, I'll just chill out, let let Drake do his thing, you know, and um, it happened so fast for him. And then he said, um, when he was worried, writing with uh, Dr. Drake, I thought he was bullshit. I thought it was bullshit. I thought he was just saying that. And then he said, he's going on, a, he's going to work with Lil Wayne. You're like, get out of here. <laughs> Well, it, yeah, like, because we were all on the same level. Like, we were all on the same level. Right. And, you know, we're all getting the exact same play. I was getting the most play at the time, really. Um, mm. But he was getting his good play, too, and um, on local radio. And then um, when he went and worked with Wayne, it just took off. Right. So he was able to do it with Wayne, whereas he... Click was trying to get him a deal at Universal in Canada, and they said, no, we don't want to sign him. We don't want to sign Drake. Right. Well, that's that was the problem. Interesting. He was too dark. And to think that Drake or me are too dark, that shows you how racism is entrenched, not just in America, so do you, now that you bring that up, so you know Keisha Shante, you know what I'm talking mm. about? Mm. 
So obviously she people know her about from Wonderful Park, but she talks about her artistry and I be but she says because at the time there was no RB scene in Canada. So it was like what they called pop. It was like she had to do the pop stuff. They already listened to a lot of her 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 stuff. It's pop music because there was no real RB scene because like you said, there wasn't it's the ghost play it plays back into the 15. races. She was the, 15 too. Yeah, like she was 15. She was 15, and when they started playing her records, she did a cover of Mob Deep over uh, Quiet Storm. Yeah. And she was singing, and it shook the country. It really? Was, oh, it shook the country. It was like this 15-year-old girl from Ottawa, now she's living in Brampton. Um, like, she, she was bigger than any of anybody. Like, she was, like, I mean... When she was talking with Drake, she was way bigger than Drake. That's what she said. That's what I heard. I've heard her say that before. Yeah, she. There's a time where she was bigger. Yeah, yeah. She she was bigger. She was bigger than anybody in the country. Um, and then she dropped her second album, and her second album was absolutely phenomenal, but it didn't catch. It didn't hit. It didn't hit. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't bring her to like. Like she was supposed to be like a Mariah Carey. Right. And it just, well, a better comparison is Ariana Grande. Right. And as well as it did, it just didn't hit to that level. So they didn't know what to do. And she, yeah. But like Keisha Shante, like Canadian legend. Yeah, she. I mean, and 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 I brought that up because you talked about the whole thing being dark, and it just triggered that. It just triggered that in my mind because I've heard her speak about it. When she said there was no, she couldn't do traditional R and B, or because there really was no scene for that. There was. She's black. Yeah, you know, like you know, like in Canada. Let's be honest, man. When I go to the rooms, you know, like for the last fifteen years, I am the darkest person in the room. Yeah, and. There's a problem when a light-skinned brother yeah. is the darkest person <laughs> in the room. Right. And I'm the youngest as well. Right. And these guys are beer, hockey, rock and roll. Yeah. And that's what Canada is. Yeah. Now they're changing because of Black Lives Matter. Um, but like it's beer, hockey, and rock and roll. Right. And now, because I bided my time and I worked within the system. Now I have my chance to be in the rooms where they say we're creating legislation, we're creating access, we're creating opportunity. So now I get a chance to help these the next generation. But um, but it was very lonely going out to meet them and being the only black person from Canada there. Well, yeah. Speaking of that, speaking of that, OG Alan Johnston. Mm was you know my mentor I, I say our mentor yeah um Man. he is a big stick because you don't see a lot of people of color in general at me them so he is very particular about um seeing people of color at me them and just going to befriend them just because it's not the norm they don't see because me them is not even a conference that's really promoted here in the states most people don't know about it most people yeah. don't know when I explain what me them is most people have never heard of it before Right, and this yeah. conference is 20 years older than South by Southwest, bro. Oh, yeah. Since the 60s. It's like 65. 
Mm-hmm. You know, uh, South by Southwest yeah. started '87, so you talk about they had a 20 plus year head start, and oh. most people in America have no clue. So, I feel you on that. Being, you know, not them, not seeing many people that look like you <laughs> at uh, at at a, at a big event like that. So I feel you on that, man. And I mean, even even me down, even yeah. me down. I was one of the first young black people out of me down. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like you know, like and shout out to Alan Johnson. I got to get reconnected with him, man. Yeah, uh, you know, and I wonder, uh, I wonder if if uh, when you talk to him and you tell him I say hi, ask him how the other Alan is doing. Do you know who I the will. other Al? No, who is the other Alan? Um, the other Al is a white man who lives around like Mar-a-Lago. Okay, I'll ask him next time I talk to him. He'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. He'll know exactly. He's he'll know exactly who I'm talking about. And uh he'll say, Oh, he's asking, oh, now I see Dio, he was always tight with Al. Um, because Al Al Newman. Oh, I think I've heard that name. I think I've heard that name. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, like what I loved about me down was getting to know the OGs of the music industry. Yeah. Because like all the people, like I was there in 2005. Yeah. You know, that was my first time there. And so yeah. in 2005, um, I got back to my hotel. Then I, I went straight down and um, I saw my hero, my mentor in a lot of ways, um, hanging out. And I, I said, no, I'm not going to approach him right now. I'll see him tomorrow. And um, the next day I saw him. And um, so I went up to Chuck. Ah, you know is? Yep. Chuck D. Yep. And I said, hey, hey. Um, and he's like, D.O., what's up? And um, it was in the Palais, and it was in a small room. And he said, the future of the music business is going to be controlled by artists, entrepreneurs. Wow. know that their power lies bigger than just their city. Everybody wants to go to New York. I want to go to New York. I want to go to New York. I want to go to LA. No. <laughs> you ever heard of a group called Nappy Roots? They were <laughs> proud of where they're from. Right. And they put that music out and that's what resonated. Right. Now we can do deals with every country around the world, but we can do it as artists, entrepreneurs. Right. And when Chuck D said that, there, there was only 50 people in this small room. It's like a classroom. Um, right. But like, I felt like he was talking to me. Right. Because Chuck D was telling me, take the reins of your career. Now. Do not think you need to sign with to Def Jam or Universal or a major deal. Build your independent business. And you've done that. And you've done that. Um, um, speaking of that, uh, you know the importance of being a global artist, having coordinated international tour for yourself in Asia, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Europe, obviously the U.S. and Canada. You know, uh, speak about speak about the importance of that. Maybe some of the do's and the don'ts of touring as an independent globally. Talk about that a little bit. Um. Yep. Yeah. Just one sec. Just um... you're fine. You good? Number one, relationships. Right. 
number two, um, relationships. Um, <laughs> three, um, I, I, I'd have to say relationships. So the reason why I was able to go to uh, Asia is because um, my two best friends moved out there um, to Taiwan. And um, they always talked about, D, you know, you should come out to Taiwan. And then they said, um, at the gym, I was working out with an expat from uh, Ohio, Ryan Fernandez. And so um, he said, I'm going to put you in touch with Ryan Fernandez. And so we started exchanging messages on Facebook in 2008. And um, he said, well, I can get you to play my bar. And I think I can get you other gigs in Taiwan. Mm. I think I could get you four to five other gigs. And I said, Slacka, like, what do you think? And he said, I think we can do a show in Japan with the artist that I'm working with in Tokyo. And then I put all my Dio hat and I said, okay, this summer we have to sell 2000 CDs because if we can sell 2000 CDs, then we can get a $15,000 tour grant to go to Asia. So we sold the 2000 CDs. We applied for the grant. We were successful. Now I had my anchor shows in Tokyo and in Kaohsiung, Taiwan, and then we could do Taipei. And we did Kenting, Taichung, and Tainan. And um, when we had six shows, all we needed was eight shows, but two of them could be interviews. So I did an interview and um, I started doing interviews and I, I, I didn't know how big this was gonna be. But um, when we arrived in Taiwan, um, the first night, <laughs> the first night they, they take us out, we did a PA, personal appearance. And I said, I went to the washroom and I see these Taiwan guys just throwing up in the washroom. Um, <laughs> like, cause like, it's a, like a crazy club, like 5,000 people, like they're wilding out. And I'm like, this is crazy. And then they're going to say, we're on stage to do a public appearance. We're going to do one song, one song only at the height of the night. And I'm like, this could either go two ways, <laughs> right? <laughs> it could either go two ways and they drop the beat and we just start fucking rapping and yeah. we got them. everybody's dancing, partying. And I'm like, I love this. So we did that one song, had a nice night. Everybody was in great mood go back to the hotel, wake up in the morning and outside the door, they slide us a paper, open up the paper. It's the China post. And um, I look in the China post. I was like, we did an interview. And then I see it and I, I'm on me and Slacka have a huge photo in the China post with a huge article about how Art of Fresh is in Taiwan. And I said, oh my God. Oh yeah. Said, oh yeah. And I say, hmm, hmm, I wonder if they're gonna run the other article, eh? So I, I put on my clothes, I go down the street, I go to 7-Eleven and I see the Taipei Times and I say, there's no way, there's no way. And I buy the paper first and I look out, I open it up and I see another big picture of me <laughs> with a whole article. And I say, Taiwan is going to be our place. And um, wow. 
So it started with the relationship with somebody who was there. Um, he made sure we had our anchor shows. You gotcha. have your anchor. Whenever you want to go to a new country, you have your anchor show. Gotcha. All you need is your anchor, whether it's Amsterdam, whether it's London. But if you have your anchor show, then you build your shows around there. Then you build your press around there. And that's where things take off. And because it went so well, I was back in Taiwan in four months. Wow. Doing shows in Hong Kong. And I just said, Asia. And then, then I had a son. And so I said, I can't travel right now. I have a son. But I had this opportunity in Goa, India. So why don't I change my thinking? I'm not a rapper anymore. I'm a businessman. I got this young artist named Famous. Why don't I send Famous to go perform under my company in Goa for the Indian Music Conference? Yeah. Well, we can we can fly five people out. So Famous, Mike Boogie, James Reddy, Res Digital, they all get flights out to India to perform. And that's when I said, it's bigger than me. Wow. And Whenever you have a dream, it's great to have a dream. My dream as a kid was to be a rapper. But now I started realizing my dream is bigger because now I can help people achieve their dream. Powerful. Wow. <laughs> you, have you heard the song Powerful too, eh? You know that? That's the new song. That's Powerful. Your new, that's, your, that's your new song? Yeah, yeah. You got you to play Oh, I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to go yeah. check it out. Yeah, you know, the, the beginning is... Um, <laughs> I talk about Nelson Mandela in the beginning. You know, I'm going to make a post about Coach Carter and you yeah. know, our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate. Right. Our greatest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. measure. Yeah. I mean, Theo, that's so important because, you know, I preach so much about being global, right? Because I think the only way you can build your core audience and my whole brand, you know, my, my brand is all about core audience, build community. That's, and that's all I teach. And I think that so many creative people want to be big in their quote unquote hometown. Like I got to be big in America. I got to have a billboard charting single. I got to have this. I got to have that. And if I'm not popping from America, somehow, again, like for my career, I, I, I'm, I'm, I can't, I can't, I haven't done what I wanted to do. But I'm like, what if your audience is someplace else in the world? Yeah, yeah. You know what yes. I'm saying? There's opportunities in these other parts of the world who will give you the chance to do what you love to do. Yeah, it might not look like what major acts do, but it gave you the chance to build your fan base. I speak about my artist, Xavier Keys. Speak about Theo Lodge and people like that. We've been, the, shout, out, shout out to uh, Veteran Eye, you know, who helped to facilitate, you know, New School Rules, which is literally how we connected, you know. Uh, shout out to Henka, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, but, but, but the fact that, the fact that we've have been to six different countries. I told this to Xavier all the time. I said, bro, I said, you've been to six countries. You're an international artist. Nobody asked how big the venues were. Nobody cares. Yep. You know what I mean? But the fact that you can say, I'm an international artist, okay? Yep. 
that is powerful. You know, and I told him all the time. I said, dude, you have 7,000 people in your, in your core. I said, so it doesn't matter what your Spotify numbers look like. Or the reason why those numbers matter in the corporate sense is because these major record companies have to be able to justify if I cut DO a check for $5 million, I need to be able to go to the, 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 the um, whatever department is at the label to say, hey, he's got these numbers. I got to go to my boss and say, we can give him this check because he has this amount of followers. He's got this amount of monthly streams and it's going to make financial sense for us to give us, give him this check. But your audience doesn't give a shit about none of that. They don't care about what your, what your, what your numbers look like, how many streams are on your record. They don't care about none of that. Are you, are you solving a problem for them? Yeah. All, you know, that's what they care about. Wait, people, people lose touch. Um, the unfortunate thing about being an artist is when you lose touch with why you're doing music. Yeah. Number one, you're doing music because you got a gift. Right. Um, number one, you want to share your voice with the world. Right. Now, I believe in God. I so do I. He does. But yeah. I hope that if you don't believe in God, you at least believe in a higher power. Right. And so, number one, you have a gift. Number two, Nobody ever told you, you you had a chance to make a living off of this. Everything is a blessing. So appreciate every little thing as a blessing. Right. Like the one thing you will notice about me, um, Slacker will tell you, like when, when we showed up in Tokyo and I said, I said, hey, Slacker, I said, can you believe it? We're in Tokyo, <laughs> we made it. Yeah. We are here. We did it. And he was like, "I know, Dio, but like, and and then when we got to Kyoto, I said, Slacker, can you believe it? Small town boys made it. We made it. Right. We didn't have a million sales, but you know what we did when we were in Tokyo, down at Shibuya." We went into the HMV, the biggest HMV in the world, and Slack and saw his album in there. And I collaborated with a DJ, um, DJ Now, um, from Japan. And I was able to pull a CD there and look at the back and see D.O. And I was like, this is amazing. I have my music being played in Japan. And when we did our show in Tokyo that night, and people knew our music and sung along, man, it does not get any better than that. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I, I, I share this story about Theo Lodge. When we were in Mumbai, India, was shout out to Ashish from Chanda. Love that guy. Yeah. Ashish. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ashish is a, a good friend and business partner, a friend of mine. But when he flew us out so quickly, I'm going to tell you that story, right? So Ashish is in the Full Sail University Hall of Fame, right? Oh, is so it? I, I knew about Ashish before Ashish knew about me. Oh. But I did not meet Ashish. Now, keep in mind, I live not even 10 minutes from the campus, right? Hmm. I saw Ashish speak prior to us meeting at Medem four months prior in February. We hmm. meet in June, right? So... Ashish um, 
happens to see us perform at Alan Johnson Showcase. He's Theo Lodge. He's Xavier Keys, 50-50, which is Mickey and, and, and Queen Candy Cole. And he has a meeting with us. Either Matt Assassin, he has a meeting with us the next day. Says to us, I want to invite you guys to go to come to India to perform a totem pole. And we're thinking, okay, cool. You want to do this next year? Because we're used to having to pay for everything ourselves. Because like, we're going to need some time to fund this thing. You know, it's like, no, nah, man, we're, I'm going to take. And we're thinking, you know, there's no way he's going to do this. We're thinking he's bullshit. So, of course, the months go by. Now we're in August, September. Finally, September, he said, he's like, all right, man, we're got it in the works. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna. I was trying to get the visas, gotta get the visas in place. Essentially, uh, Ashish was able to get us there, took care of everything. We didn't spend a dollar. I spent more money going home from the airport than I did going to. I actually flew first class to uh, India, but I, you know, uh, because the reason why I flew first class was uh, where my seat originally wasn't coach. A gentleman wanted to sit with his family. And coach was so like, yo, you can have, I'm in front, you can have my ticket. So he just gave me his ticket and I sat in first class on the way to, to Mumbai. But um, so basically what happened was that first night of the festival, Theo, Theo closed, Theo basically closed that day one. And I kid you not, it felt like Jay-Z. It felt, if you look at the footage, if you go, he felt, it felt, and I was I'm like, bro, this feels like Jay-Z at the Barclays. And I'm like, who? I, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. He was absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Like, right. And, right. And so. He raps like, with Tupac energy, too. Right. And I'm like, dude, this is, we're in India. And this dude, it feels like Jay-Z. Yeah, and, so, yeah. and so, and I'm like, this is the power of when you go to these other countries, you know, how that's real rock star shit, man. That's rock star shit. Fuck what's going. Fuck what's going on in 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 L.A. and New York. That's yeah. rock star shit, right? It, it, it don't get better than that, man. It, it, it doesn't. And you were there to witness it. You were there. Yeah. You saw it. You felt the energy. You felt the presence in the room. Even if they don't know who he is, they know now. Yeah, like, you know, like and to command that attention and that crowd in a place halfway around the world. Yeah. That's phenomenal. And yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah. got a lot of respect for And uh, I don't know if it's his wife or partner. Ujula. She, yeah, his wife. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she, she was always around. I, I got to follow up with them too, man. Uh, that'll be good. That'll be really nice. You know, wonderful um, people. Wonderful people. So yeah, quickly, I want to get through this because I want to respect your time. Um, you know, you got to get me to rap though today. Oh, yeah. We're going to get you to rap too. Bro, if you're good on time, I'm good on time. I'm just trying to respect your time. You know, if you're good, I'm good. Right. I got a few more questions, but. Okay. Oh, wow. I didn't realize even the time. Rocking. How much time you got? I I have. Well, oh, wow. I didn't realize. I have eight minutes. Okay, you have eight minutes? Okay. So I guess we're going to have to. All right. So we're going to have to do a part two. Oh, yeah. No, no problem. We're yeah. going to we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do a part two. Yeah, I, I did text because I had a meeting at four, but she she's okay with it. You know, I, I told her I'd be a little bit late, but I can't be too late. No, no, it's cool. So what we'll do, just... what we'll do is, is um, oh, part two is great. Yeah, we'll have, we'll do a part two, man. Cause I want to get, I have, I had a few more, so I really want to get into. So what we're gonna do, man? We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna end it right there, 
And but but we're gonna let you rap. You gotta let we can't let the episode can't end the episode without Dio being able to rap, let people know what it's all about. But before that, where can people find you? I am Dio Gibson. I am Dio Gibson. I am Dio G-I-B-S-O-N. I am Dio Gibson. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, I am Dio Gibson.com. Dope. And and uh, by the way, so we're gonna we're gonna do a part two like in a couple of weeks. So we can't, oh, I, can't I can't wait. We, we can't wait too long. So I want to get you scheduled again because yeah, there's yeah, so much more stuff I want to cover. Yeah, and so yeah, normally I would wait longer for the part two, but no, we gotta get this part two in here. No, like, I mean, my schedule's easing up. Like the first quarter of the year for me is always always just, busy. Right. I got you. So we so we'll get back. We'll get you scheduled back for another session here in the next few weeks and and get a little bit more because there's so much other things I wanted to cover that I think is so amazing. Oh about yeah, me. no, we we just scratching the surface. Who you are, man. So so, so yeah, man. So so drop so drop a drop drop a rhyme, man. We'll, and we'll end it there. You know. Yeah, but but in the chat, you you got to give me the topics. Now you know, you okay. give me some fun. You know, I hate when people give me too much like. I could do the serious ones too, but like, it's like, uh, I'm not trying to, to rap about the economic conditions of, uh, environmental situations in Brazil. Right. You know what I mean? Like I can, but like, uh, that's why I like kids. Cause they give me cheese, and, um, chicken and, you know, Justin Bieber or basketball. Yeah. Uh, but like you gotta, I'm only going to start rapping when I, I get the first three topics, but you got to keep on going in the chat. Cause my, my rap is going to be, um, how, how long is this? Three minutes long. So two, no, two minutes and thirty-four seconds. Okay, so I got to. So let me put it in the chat then. Hold on. Okay, can you did you see this? No, I'm not so, seeing anything yet. Oh, yep, yep. Okay, there we go. So uh, you gotta keep on going though. Okay, you gotta keep on. You gotta right. keep on going with multiple topics and just keep it going. See positivity, okay. Remember, fun left field. Things, okay. you know, challenge me. Just easy, you know. Oh, ba- oh, okay. Who's your favorite baseball team? Cubs, Chicago Cubs. So we'll, put, uh-huh, okay. we'll we'll add the Cubs in there. Okay. You have any reason why the Cubs are your favorite? Perfect, perfect. Glad you asked that. So in Orlando, in the late nineties, you had two stations. You had WGN. You had TBS. Mm. So people say, how are you born in, in Brooklyn, New York, raised in Orlando, Florida, and you're a Chicago Cubs fan? Very simple. Sammy Sosa played for the Cubs at the time. And he and he was reason and I just loved him. And I just became a Cub fan. Mm. And that's really how I became a Cub fan. So it's 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 simple for me. <laughs> I, I told you three. Um, I think we're at three. Keep on going though. All right. Yeah. Uh-huh. 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 First of all, I gotta give thanks. Short, then I start just like Ernie Banks. If you know what's up, man, are you really kidding me for real? I could break it down all the way from where me feel. See, sometimes, man, they are kidding me. I used to go up over to Comiskey. White socks on top, you know. Got socks on, they call goat. Can't nobody hold me. 
Can't nobody hold me down just like it was Kobe. You might have heard it before, man, if they gon' tell me. But I used to hear it from Melly. Melly Mel, when he did the message, you can do it. See the skeptics, but they know that it's copacetic. They know that I got that mathematics. I learned it from Nas. I learned it from Nomadic. So anytime that you gon' see me, you know when I kick these bars, it's positivity. <laughs> Whenever I'm a face, y'all, and you want me to talk about baseball, man, you know that I go harder. Walk off shot just like Joe Carter. Blue Jays crusade, how we up in here? Then we gonna do the shit pioneer. So Blue Jays talking about baseball, how we face y'all, then you better thank me, New York Yankees or the Mets. When it comes to kicking rhymes, I don't forget. See, beat to the O, and I'm never slipping. Hit that walk off shot just like Kirk Gibson. Los Angeles Dodgers. Okay, we talking about the Dodgers? Which one are we going to take them or took them? Because if we talking about the Dodgers, we can talk about Los Angeles. Or we talking about Brooklyn. I'm talking about Jackie Robinson. And I'm telling y'all, man, ain't no kidding. Or we talking about the Negro Leagues. Cause if we gonna talk about baseball, talk about my uncle. His name is Josh Gibson. Black Bay Brook. That's the truth. You know how we do. Whenever I eat my Chinese food, Kung Pao. How we do now with my Kung Pao chicken? You better listen, blazing. That's how we do with the Asians. Then we go to Taiwan and then the Saigon. Y'all already know who got the dopest flow. Chinese food is good until you go to Tokyo. Yeah. Best believe me, cause when you go to Tokyo, you get the sushi, like John Belushi, when he kicked his jokes. The cats out there, they do not have no hope. Now, you got to give me a couple topics for me to rock, but I think it's two minutes and 34 seconds, so you got to respect it when I'm done. But one thing that I got to say to you, I can't say son, I say to you, brother, because I look at you and I do not see any other. When I look at you, I do not see just a color. But when I look at you, I got to say it all. My favorite baseball team comes from Montreal. I'm talking about the Expos, if you know how we go. The Expos had the flashy flow. But one thing that I got to say before we done, y'all, the question I got to ask is, who is that guy on the picture on the wall? That is me at 17 years old, my senior picture, I was rocking. That probably was May of 2000. And, no, probably June-ish of 2002. Yeah. Oh, beautiful, beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. Well, hey, man. This was Dio. great. Dio, I, I had a great man, time, man. This like is that, only yeah, part yeah. one. So, ladies this and gentlemen, this is, you know, we're going to come back with part two in a couple of weeks. Hope I didn't let you down. Man. No, you didn't let me down. You got so much other things to cover. So this is gonna be this is part one of my my talk with Dio Gibson. Can, can can I leave with the the walk off shot? Leave with the walk off shot, bro. It's all yours. Okay, so uh, I've been reading the book lately. Hey, eh? so uh, last week I, I read a part of the book. You might have heard this on the clubhouse too. I'm not sure, but um, t- talks about when you sit down at a table. And um, it's such a powerful lesson to learn when you sit down at a table, because sometimes, Darrell, you are at a table or the people who are listening, um, sometimes you go to a business event and they ask you to go for dinner. And so when you go for that dinner, there's a table 
where are you going to sit at the table? Now, if you were just invited and you don't know who's going to sit at the table, do you go sit at the head of the table? No. Well, if you sit at the head of the table, somebody might come along and say, oh, excuse me, um, we're going to have to get you to move to another place at the table. And you don't want to have any time in your life somebody tell you to move to another part of the table. So what you do is when you sit down at the table, you choose the least desirable position at the table. That's what Jesus says. Because if they want you to move to a better speed spot, they will come up and say, hey, why don't you sit over here? But who are you trying to meet at the table? The person who's going to everybody's focused on? Or the people that are just sitting there and being part of people at the table? So always choose a careful seat at the table. And that's what Jesus said. And um, I'm going to leave you with this. I sat at the table with you. And I made sure I sat next to you. You sure, you sure did, man. And that all being said, guys, this has been episode 18 of the Encourage Inspire podcast. By the way, like I said before, this is only part one with Dio. We're going to come back with part two because there's so many other things we didn't get just to talk about. So till next time, this is your host, Darrell Peart, and I'm gone. Peace. Oh, yeah. <laughs>